Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. A doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, if I haven't frightened Dr. Batar away, we're doing advanced medicine now. Dr. Batar, maybe you could bring some love into the equation. I'm just so just annoyed with all the stories we had to cover last hour. Other than the silly one, there's a $9,000 ball of yarn that you can buy people for Christmas at Tiffany and Company. Other than that, the stories were just, uh, I'm just out of my mind. I'm just like, I need to rest. I need to bring some, some vitamin L back into the equation. Well, I'm, I don't know if I can help you, Robert, but I'll try. <laughs> I know I know you're not one that doesn't, that shies away from, from challenges here. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and in fact, our first, our first story could be answered by the nine steps to keep the doctor away, your bestseller, right, your book, because it talks about the elimination of toxins. Because the organs that are hit hardest by the accumulation of toxins, whether they be environmental, in this case, are talking primarily, but it could be metabolic. It's those organs designed to eliminate them. What did you think was going to happen when the body encountered these things? The body was going to go, hey, let's go to the liver. The liver does this all the time, but little did we know that the liver didn't do it for the stuff that man created in the last 100 years all so well because stuff didn't exist on the planet till then. Well, the organs of detoxification that this particular article references, they are actually um, the same that we target in the AHEADMAP, the Advanced Health Evaluation and Assessment for Detoxification um, Medical Assessment Program. So... <clears throat> The reason it's called Advanced Health Evaluation and Assessment for Detoxification is because it's assessing those organs of detoxification, being specifically the the gastrointestinal system, the kidney, the liver, uh, the lungs, the and of course skin. Some things that people forget: skin is the largest organ of detoxification, actually. <clears throat> so we're actually looking at those particular organs, assessing their um, status, their improvement, their worsening not only monitoring what it is at this point, but then also comparatively assessing the changes that occur over time and depending on the intervention, being able to assess the efficacy of that intervention. But we're looking at those organs of detoxification. To a lesser degree, we do look at some of the other aspects, but probably I would say 85 to 90% of the focus is on those organs of detoxification, again, being the kidney, mm-hmm. the liver, the gastrointestinal system, the skin, systemic pH. So... Once we are able to assess where we are, uh, and this is this article is specifically talking about the um, effects from air pollution, which basically is not just the persistent organic pollutants, but you're also looking mm-hmm. at the heavy metals. So it's looking specifically at air pollution, whereas we don't care where the toxins are coming from. And it doesn't matter whether it's uh, from the head map's perspective. It doesn't matter where they're coming from. We are just assessing the effect of the environmental right. trigger on the on the organs. So it actually looks at the seven toxicities. You know, you're looking at the heavy metals and the persistent organic pollutants, which we kind of talked about, but they're also looking at the effect, the secondary effects, because if you have a suppression of the immune system from the heavy metals and the persistent organic pollutants, then you'll render the immune system susceptible, and that will now make, make you more... Mm-hmm. Um, 
to the third toxicity, the opportunistics, and then, of course, the energetics and all the other ones that go along with this, all seven of the toxicities which will now affect those organs of detoxification. For example, how could food, because we're not looking at the constituents of food, but we're looking at what we do to food, the pasteurization, homogenization, irradiation, genetic modification of foods, how do they affect our organs of detoxification? Well, they do. They have a tremendous impact, but we really don't understand the full effect because this may be a generational study. You know, it may take Mm -hmm. one or two generations to see, well, how does genetic modification of food affect not just us, but our offspring and, you know, two generations out? Well, we we are seeing a reduction in fertility, right? Absolutely. That sperm counts driving. So there have been factors, especially in terms of uh, reproducing the species, right? And, And, of course... I opened with Super Don's permission. Of course, he threw that at me. I was like, I couldn't say no with the apocalyptic predictions of the scientists saying we're overpopulated. And I said, there's a soft kill going on, right? Whether it's on purpose or, you know, by design or by accident, this, the result is the same. If you eat the GMO foods, you're less likely to have offspring. And if you do, they might be less likely to be healthy. I found what yeah. was really interesting, what you opened with, too, in, in referencing this article is that if we're talking airborne toxicity, we're talking pollution brought in through the lungs. We breathe in. Normally, we're supposed to get oxygen in, and then CO2 comes out. But what if there's other toxins coming in? They enter, hit the blood. It's going to be carried elsewhere, like the liver, like the kidneys, maybe into the lymph. All the organs are going to be impacted primarily, first and foremost, those organs designed to take things out that aren't belonging there anymore. But as I've said for many years here, what about those things like these airborne pollutants? And it's not like things that have happened from time immemorial on the planet that we have some capacity to deal with. But we're talking about man-created synthetics that the body goes, I don't even know what the hell this is. Yeah, so this is a major issue. And the body, like you said, doesn't recognize some of these things and doesn't know how to process them. And then, of course, generationally and and how it's impacting our system and, and the... You know, we, we know that there's been certain types of chemicals that have been used, some like things like dioxin, for example, that have caused a mutation and tetralogy-type effect in individuals where genetic mutations have taken place and offspring are born with um, mutations and such. So we know that there's been various types of effects from some of these very, very toxic persistent organic pollutants, but we're talking about subtle things that, People wouldn't necessarily pick up where the immune system is more susceptible. They may mm-hmm. have more food allergies. They may have more neurological deficits. They may have you know, various types of things, like dumbing down the population, kind of like the vaccines kind of do. So, and I don't, I don't say that just tongue-in-cheek, well, how the vaccines, no. do, the vaccines do dumb down the population. Um, so what are the effects? Now, I, you know, I wasn't on the show for the first hour, and you're talking about this apocalyptic notion of population control and how... Um, we, we're overpopulated. See, this is something that I also don't understand because when you look at the landmass and you see how many areas of the world where mm-hmm. nobody, nobody lives and how those, when you look at unhospitable places that massive, like you look at Chicago, for example, you know, it's not the ideal place where you would think it's something that a big city would, would uh, and maybe that's not even a good example. Maybe you can go up further north or, or wherever. You have some places that are just not that hospitable. They're very cold. And, you know, snow is there all the time, but they have these massive cities that have been built. Now, you look at other places, South Dakota, North Dakota, you look at certain places, um, deserts, for example, with modern technology, uh, with um, 
water being able to be brought in. I mean, look at Dubai, you know, right in the middle of the desert, massive cities. So how can they say that there's not, and we're overpopulated, that there's not, there's not enough space or there's too many people? Because we've got so many, so many resources. God is a God of abundance. You know, we have unlimited water from the oceans. We have uh, the sunlight. We, we, can, we could be a society that is completely self-sustainable if the powers that be really wanted that information to get out there. I mean, there have been cars that have been around for, what, 100 years, 75 years, they could run on water? So, Well, yeah, you talk about split, splitting the hydrogen out. Of course, that does take yeah. electrical input. But I think it, it's a, it, it brings to mind the, the use of resources, right? How much energy does it take to build um, a city in the desert, right, where we don't have, you don't have food production because you don't really have water unless you desalinate the water that's coming from the ocean that's nearby, like in Dubai, perhaps they do that. Uh, but again, it's about uh, utilization of energy efficiency, the law of economy. Where can we live that would require the least amount of, of uh, input to the system to produce the most output? And I guess you could say if you live in a city and the trucks start stop coming in for a week because maybe diesel goes to you know $50 a gallon, whatever reason that happens, a natural disaster, you're going to see a real-life zombie apocalypse as the people go hungry because how many people have stored food, much less the ability to grow food in a city like Dubai, much less a city like Chicago growing up and down? Right, but I'm saying, Robert, that the technology is out there. And if it was made readily available, and if we were a society that promoted advanced technologies and a camaraderie and um, rather than... Rather than um, like in the medical profession, the health profession, how, how any type of innovation is suppressed. And every, right. everything that it, it makes life easier and makes people get healthier is minimized because the powers that be want to maintain the status quo and the power that they get from that. If we, as a society, were to mimic the computer industry, you know, the microchip industry, as opposed to the medical profession, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's rewarded by innovation. It's rewarded that there's companies like Apple and IBM and and, you know, just whatever, all these companies are growing rapidly. We could have the same type of thought process in all industries when it comes to the government thought the same way, medicine, medicine thought the same way, um, agriculture you're, you're, thought that same way, as opposed to Monsanto taking over or the medical um, hierarchy taking over. If we had the same type of openness and receptiveness, I believe that 99% of the problems that we deal with on this planet would no mm-hmm. longer be problems. You wouldn't have so, hunger. So you wouldn't what have is, disease. What is, this, what is the stopping point? What is stopping us from doing that? You're, you're in the John Rappaport school now. I dig it. I like it. It means we free up our imagination to run wild and be creative and not be stifled and stymied by those who don't want that to happen. Of course, there's always that push-pull scenario. The question is, do we invest in those institutions that are prohibiting and preventing these things from occurring, or do we uh, what do the Buck, Buckminster Fuller concept make it obsolete by outcreating them? Right, withdraw our right. energy, withdraw our support, withdraw our enslavement connections, and go. You know what? Screw y'all guys. I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. I'm going to create a better ball. For instance. Well, and so now you're talking about the implementation of how we would do that. My thing is mm. first recognizing where the problem is and what should we mimic or what should we what should the target be? How we go about it? You know. You can take over and come up with how we do it. But my thing is, <laughs> we need to mimic the computer industry. We need to mimic the phone industry, how constant innovation is making faster phones, better cameras, and you know, better um, ways of transmitting information from one part mm-hmm. of the world to the other part of the world. It's 
becoming cheaper, it's becoming faster, it's becoming more efficient, it's in line for more convenience. We need well, to parallel that the, industry. Yeah, and I, I get that, although the inconvenience of it, if you go to the places where they're making these phones, uh, whether it's child labor or people that are being prevented from killing themselves because their nets outside of the place where they make iPhones so people can't jump out of the buildings and kill themselves, there's a whole other realm to this. And again, this is looking at it from the whole perspective. And Super Don, I blame you tonight for doing that by starting with that apocalypse story. But we're going to talk about it because it is Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Bittar. More after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Willing to go where the truth takes him, here's Robert. All right, in addition to all the notes linked up at uh, robertscottbell.com, it'll also take you to advancedmedicine.com. And it's an incredible portal of information and accessibility for all kinds of things that Dr. Batar and I have been discussing for many years, including all of the archives of advanced medicine, uh, which used to be easily found also at medicalrewind.com, but you know now under the umbrella of advancedmedicine.com, including what uh, Dr. Batar mentioned about the AHEAD map, how you can participate in that. And those of you who want to get in and, and, and participate, there is a invitation code for Robert Scott Bell Show listeners is four, four numbers, 1358. Remember that invitation code, 1358. It'll get you in on all of that that Dr. Batar has set up to benefit you, to bring that power to heal back where it belongs with each and every one of you. Now, what you decide to do with the information is yours and yours alone, but we're here to help facilitate that, and Dr. Batar has committed his life ever since he was challenged with his son who was injured into the autism spectrum all those years ago after being vaccinated. Just if you're new to the show and don't know Dr. Batar's backstory, you can read about it there as well. Uh, but Dr. Batar, you're talking about uh, you know generational shifts, and there's an article here about lifestyle choices not only impacting your own life, but your offspring, generationally down the line. How many generations will it take to clean up the mess we've created? Exactly, and I think that when we start looking at the evidence, it's there's two there's two lines of thought we could follow. We can look at the fact that it takes less than a year for every cell in your body to be replaced with a new cell. And so from that standpoint, you would think that it's not going to affect generationally. Yet some of these things do, and the reason we call them persistent organic systems is because they persist in the body. And so it can have a very, very, very long-term effect and affect the reproduction uh, aspects of the of the individual and affect second and third generations, which we know there are, there are certain types of toxic substances, mostly pesticides, insecticides, those types that have been shown to have a very significant impact on second and third generation offspring. So, you know, which one is which one is reality? Obviously, we know that they are things that have affected people generationally. But if we believe that we can truly transform our systems. Mm-hmm. I.e. detox our systems and transform our bodies. You see people having made massive, massive personal changes in their own bodies to the point that you can't even recognize the individual in a year. I think that it is possible to actually, as you said, reverse this stuff or prevent it from persisting beyond our own bodies into our progeny. Mm-hmm. How do we go about doing that? Well, therein lies the challenge, and I think that's a, 
ongoing, constant lifestyle change. It's not a panacea. You don't take a product or a, a potion or a, you know, a lotion or something like that. I think this is something that you maintain a good, clean life on a consistent basis uh, and shield yourself, you know, from, as, from as many toxins as you possibly can. And uh, you end up reaping the rewards. Well, in, in the remineralization that we've talked about so often because of the displacement by toxins, uh, the uh, head map also, you know, in that assessment gives you some insight. And there's some basic concepts that you can integrate uh, that despite the things we don't even know and have control over out there in the environment, we're able to come through them. Uh, yeah, I, I, listen, I look at my own life, Dr. Batari. You know my story. We've talked about it. We're, we're the same age. But, I, you know, I've been through chronic diseases from year, year zero to year 24 before I learned about the things I know today. And I was only the beginning at that point, but I began to change my life around by living differently, by eating differently. And, you know, I'm doing things today, half century plus into this, this body that I couldn't do earlier on. And I don't know what tomorrow brings. Again, you know, that's you know, the, the mystery of life to some degree. But at the same point in time, I have learned that you know, nature, God creator, teaches us if we can, you know, find out what those principles are in the natural world and live them, not just pay lip service to them. You're rewarded not because you're a good person, but because you're applying the laws as they've been laid down for us. Right. right. That's true. That's a very, very true statement. <clears throat> I think that in time, as uh, we evolve as a society, the global society, and I think as the mindset, our mindsets also evolve, the governmental mindsets of those that get into power, those that are, um, pointed to safeguard our futures as their mindsets change. I hope that society will evolve to the point that these concepts that we're talking about will not become uh, sources of controversy, but will become the obvious choice to make so that we can continue to sustain a our environment. Yeah. Well, you know, what concerns me, as it always does, since I was one of those folks that was so toxic and depleted and deficient... I might have recognized some things, but I didn't have the energy, that vitality, that life force to do anything about it. And we got a lot of people that are desperate. They're running on fumes. They're running on adrenals that are burned out. Their thyroids are spinning out of control. What can we do to help them? And maybe it's to allow them to get Alzheimer's so they forget everything. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott, the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Two hours today, six days a week, and a very special hour each week with Dr. Rashid Bittar. It's called Advanced Medicine, and you can check out advancedmedicine.com, plug in all the wonderful things that he's doing, we're all doing together, to bring the power to heal back to you where it belongs, just like Bill Gates is doing, right? Bill is invested in all of us. He wants us to have so much power to heal ourselves and wants us to be free from vaccinations, and wants us... Wait a second. I think I read that backwards. Super Don, is it, did I read that backwards? Just being sure, I, I'm a little confused about Bill Gates now. <clears throat> How did you... I didn't hear what you when you said it. Did you All say right, it everybody gets to How take a drink. How do you say drink. Bill Gates backwards? <laughs> That's not what I meant, saying it. No, the concept of empowerment. I don't get that from Bill Gates. <laughs> 
It's like, hey, we're going to invest billions of dollars of your money, taxpayer money, to find a universal vaccination that will include every drug and every vaccine you need through childhood. And then when we cause Alzheimer's, we'll find the cure for that, too. Well, that's how you make money, right? You create the problem and the solution. Mm. Not not such a nice way to go about it, I don't think. But uh, The problem is they haven't created any solution. They've just created the problem. Yeah, they've got pretend solutions, right? And right. Uh, Gates is actually, his newest mission, he says, is curing Alzheimer's. But before he gets there, he's also wanting to invest money through MIT, where they're developing apparently a 3D fabrication method. Are they, what... What are they doing? 3D printing stuff that you can inject that will release drugs and vaccines throughout childhood. So you get one shot and who knows what's in it. Is it going to be RNA and DNA related? Probably. This is where I'm not impressed by man in this current uh, incarnation for many of them in the scientific realm, which we love science here. But I think this is mad science stuff where you can believe that you can inject something genetically engineered, 3D printed into the body and somehow outdo creation itself and say, we can do better than the creator here. There is a little bit of arrogance in there somewhere, Dr. Batar. Yeah, I think there's a lot of arrogance in there. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I agree. You know, the, when you start looking at man, we, we, we kind of talked about this in the beginning when we started the first segment, we were talking about the apocalyptic nature mm-hmm. of some of these scientists and what they're saying. When you start looking at how arrogant man is and, and how we think we know how the body works, we think we know what's best for nature, we think that we can supersede God's design in everything, and then we start talking about how we don't have enough resources and the population is growing beyond what the world can sustain itself. These, these things, when, when I hear them, I start to realize how disjointed or how disconnected they are from source energy, from the universal consciousness. Mm -hmm. Because if you sit and think, actually, if you just look out at the ocean or you look uh, um, at a a beach or you look at a field or you look at a forest, you can see the number of leaves on a tree or the number of blades of grass in a field or the number of grains of sand in the ocean. It, It is limitless. And we have every resource here on this planet to do everything and more that we need and to be able to sustain the population if we just get in line with the way the Creator designed everything, the way the universal consciousness designed everything. We are constantly opposing forces. We are constantly going in and taking. You know, we're, we're violating. We're, um, we're not sustainable in our thought process. How can we be sustainable in our everyday practices? We need to become sustainable in our thought process, in our everyday practices, in how we teach our children. And that sustainability will then create that that's needed in order for us to continue to populate this planet and continue to go out. And if we need to populate the stars, then we will, we will do so. Uh, my point being, again, I think it all comes down to a mindset. And that mindset is flawed. And that's the reason that we have these limited thought processes of overpopulation mm-hmm. and not enough resources, not enough food, not enough scarcity, energy, not yeah. enough, yeah, the scarcity mentality, exactly. Sure, and it, and it breeds fear. Fear breeds uh, a willingness to be controlled or enslaved. Once again, mm-hmm. you have overlords that have been playing games on all of us, and at a certain point you wake up, perhaps, and say, you know what, 
I'm tired of being enslaved. I'm tired of having overlords. I think I got a direct link to creation. And uh, let me let me go out there and I'll create the bad guys, the bad stuff. And of course, it really means tapping into your birthright, right? And using the imagination, which I think is an incredible gift of creation that allows you to co-create in this universe. But of course, you said from a limited perspective, from a wrong-headed thinking perspective, we must destroy, we must take, we must steal because there's never enough. And that mindset manifests in the way we are living today and seeing how that mindset of scarcity plays out in, well, guess what? The return of plague. Did you see that in Madagascar? Um, is that the Disney movie, Madagascar? <laughs> no, yeah, we, yeah, it's like a Disney movie with plague in it. <laughs> oh, oh, plague. You said plague. I missed the part about plague. No. Um, I was thinking what you're talking about, the kids' movie, Madagascar. Uh, kids <laughs> That's Madagascar. I, I like your thinking. That's, that'd be a much happier thought. But no, in fact, the plague is back. I'm, and just, they're doing, not... I'm, just, talking, I'm just talking about the sustainability thought process. You know, I'm not talking about the future-mindedness of <laughs> I know. the happy place. <laughs> but, but the irony is, even if they throw plague, bubonic or pneumonic, we have tools that can neutralize it. Absolutely. But we also r- recognize, for instance, in, in Bill Gates' Uh, feigned attempt to, to, to prevent or cure Alzheimer's. I mean, he won't talk about selenium and chromium and silica as minerals that can enhance the function and the integrity of the structure, much less, you know, all the things that we need so that that, that never happens. Uh, but, but again, that's their... Or removing, or removing the mercury from the neural tissue so that the denudation of the neurofibrils doesn't take place and then you don't have the chronic insidious process of the denudation taking place. I mean, autism, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, it's all the same cause. You know? Exactly. So unfortunately, unfortunately, silica and selenium will not pull the mercury out, but they will help to mitigate some of the damage. The, the point is that, that we want to, one, get rid mm-hmm. of what shouldn't be there, two, replace what should be there, three, feed it, nourish it the way it should be done, and four, get the hell out of the way so we don't create a problem. Beautiful. Remember said, that now- we're the ones who create the problem. I want to remind new listeners to the Robert Scott Bell Show, particularly with advanced medicine, a lot of the things that Dr. Batar has done and does and has, we've talked about on the air in terms of the extraordinary influx of mercury via vaccination, via dentistry, to levels never before seen in terms of a broad spectrum of the population, especially these children, uh, the millennials that were born at a time where they vastly expanded the vaccine program with so many more mercury influx injections that we have an unusual uh, entry point, not ingestion or inhalation at this point, but injection to create such a burden on the brain and nervous system and the gut that you had to go to extraordinary leaps, if you will, to bind and remove these. Again, these were unusual circumstances when we talked, and, and we've done many, many years we've discussed this, and I encourage you to go back and listen to these archives because you'll learn about why the synthetic amino acids, why the chelation, uh, why would they be normally necessary in, an, in a less extreme circumstance, for instance? All of these things we can't do every week on the show. You'd be bored to tears if we talked chelation every week. But the archives are there, and I'm encouraging you to go back and listen. Go to advancedmedicine.com. Go back and dig them because there's a lot to learn there. I appreciate you saying that, Robert. Yeah, there's a lot of information we've covered in the last, I guess, eight years now, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty amazing. But that's why I say, you know, it, it, it's something that is unusual. It's not like you can say we have a historical precedent for injected mercury in history, right? And we're dealing with children that have bioaccumulated from their parents as well as other environmental sources added to that general burden to an extreme case where, my gosh, when I was a kid, we 
We didn't have the word autism. I know it existed now, but it certainly wasn't something we had a, a child. We used to be used to call them mentally retarded that were. I mean, they were there was a, a serious, serious issue, chromosomal or otherwise. But autism? No, even ADHD wasn't yet. ADD we didn't hear about when I was in high school. So these things are a new creation of man, not of God, if you, if you make the distinction. Yeah, this is, um, I don't think these are new diseases. I think that there's just a, a, a very significant increase in the availability of these toxins and how people are becoming exposed to them, and so it makes the incidence much greater. But I think the incidence of autism prior to 1991, before the National Vaccine Initiative was mm-hmm. put out to stamp out all childhood diseases, was 1 in 10,000. And I think, what is it now, 1 in 30, 1 in 20-something, 1 in 25, yeah. 1 in 30 something crazy like that so right and um, they I think still claim the same... genetic epidemic which doesn't yep. make sense you know yeah there's no such thing as a genetic epidemic that that takes place within 20 25 years so mm-hmm. um yeah you're absolutely right but i think that the uh prevalence of environmental toxicity and how it's exponentially increasing and even though there's probably more attention being brought to it there's an exponentially greater exposure Mm-hmm. from industry and, and from various other um, exposures that people are getting or that, that, the, that the planet's getting. And it, the more prevalent it becomes a problem, the more people are becoming aware of it. And at some point, I think, when the public demands, mm-hmm. those changes will be made. And one of the biggest things that I've done for myself personally is look at parts of the world that I believe have the cleanest air. And that's that's one of the places where, I mean, like Chile, Argentina, Patagonia, mm-hmm. um, you know, certain parts of um, the South Pacific. Um, there are certain areas. In, in fact, if you talk about in the United States, you know, like the higher elevations you go, yes, the air is thinner, but it's cleaner air. There's, there's less toxicity. So being in a place or trying to be in a place that has cleaner air, cleaner water, um, more minerals in the ground so that the food that's being grown there has a higher, more um, richer content of nutrients. Um, sometimes people say, well, organic doesn't mean anything. We've talked about this before, but when you look mm-hmm. and analyze it, the, the constituents of the uh, foods that are organic versus foods that are regularly grown, you have a two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half times the nutrient value in that organic food. So why is that? It's because of how it's grown, the sustainability of it, the mm-hmm. area where it was grown, the, the higher nutrient content of the soil, uh, not allowing the soil to be pillaged to the point that uh, the, the crops that are being harvested from it, just depleting the soil of all the nutrients. And again, the sustainable agricultural methodologies we're talking about. So all these things have a huge impact overall in what we're talking about. And again, it comes back to the same thing, that if we mimic the model of the computer industry and we start Mm -hmm. rewarding innovation and we start um, allowing those that do innovate to make more profits and become, um, you know, compete in a free marketplace, I think it's going to be a beautiful world. Right. Well, when we come back, I want to talk about the eggheads on planet Earth. Are they helping or harming? You know, with this uh, attempt by MIT to create the universal vaccination for everything. We'll talk about the technology involved there and how perhaps we would perceive wrongheaded it is, even though we're not saying they're not smart, but on some level, they don't have God smarts. There's a difference. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. 
Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. I talk about dunderheaded doctors a lot. Well, occasionally, sometimes. Do I mention them every show? Super, I think occasionally I'll go a show without calling out dunderheaded doctors. But in this case, I'm calling out dunderheaded PhDs. And at MIT, you're like, man, that's an outrage. That's sacrilege to the to the human, the worship of the human mind, right? MIT, higher institutions of indoctrination. P- hey, listen, I don't knock smart people. I like smart people. I'm surrounded by smart people. It makes me smarter. My wife's super smart. So wh- what am I talking about here? I'm talking about you. You're so smart that you lose your way. You, you violate basic principles in natural law, which are not part of the smarts that they're worshiping. And you're willing to wait create... Wait a second. What? Wait a second, Robert. What? Hold on, hold on. What? How can you say that that's smart if they're violating those innate laws? That's not smart. Well, so, if you, it's so like if a double negative. Negative. becomes positive. Yeah, no? I, mean, I, I see. I, I, <laughs> I probably yeah, lost I my way here, Dr. Batar. That's why you're here to call me to the carpet. Like if I make a bad segue or if I'm not making sense... You kind of know where I'm going, but you're right in saying that. No, it's not smart in reality. But they've kind of got the the uh, monopoly on what they claim is smart, I guess is the point. Ah, and yeah. making that yeah. distinction. So, they're educated derelict is what you're trying to say. <laughs> That's the way to say it. I, I would say educated, <laughs> but they probably wouldn't yeah. understand that. But they yeah, use, exactly. you know, high-tech, 3D printing, uh, synthetic polymers that break down at different times that contain certain things that they will say will elicit, uh, well, in the case of vaccines, antibody responses, but they haven't perfected the vaccines as they are today. So what makes them think that they, uh, they package them in a polymer that melts when you're age two and age six and age 12, that it's going to have any better benefit being done that way than injecting it on, the, on site? Again, they, they're missing many components here, which you're right. It's not really smart. I think that every scientist, prior to them being allowed to work on these types of things, must have studied under or or been exposed to a significant amount of spiritual knowledge and then allowed to be released into this. (laughs) I like that. Quote, scientific world. You know, if you think about it, there was a, I I saw a quote, or there was some article that I was reading, and there was a quote in there where somebody said, you cannot be a scientist and believe in God. And my visceral response was, how can you be a scientist and not believe in the existence of the Creator? It's impossible to be a true scientist and not marvel at the genius of creation and to appreciate it. So <clears throat> I think that there are, there are laws that we understand, but there are certain things we don't understand. So just like you throw an object up in the air, it's going to come down based on gravity. That's a law, the law of gravity. You know, what goes up must come down. Well, there are other laws just as specific, but that modern science has ignored or not doesn't recognize. Mm-hmm. For example, I think there's a law of physiology. If you supersede the physiology, if you go against the physiology, if you override the physiology, you will experience the same thing as when you urinate in the wind. You will get <laughs> wet. You will have urine all over yourself. You know, so you, you, you are going to fail by definition mm-hmm. if you go against the law of physiology. And we know how the basic physiological principles, but how many times when we approach the, the human body for 
uh, to, to deal with some type of an ailment, do we violate those principles of physiology? Mm. Right? Somebody gets yeah. diarrhea, what do we do? We want to stop it. Why? The system is designed to eliminate it. You either vomit it out or you defecate it out faster. And then whatever the issue was, the last two days, max three. But if you give somebody an anti-emetic or you know, something to slow down the bowels, then you're going to be sick for seven days, eight days, ten days. So why are we violating the body's innate intelligence, the way that Creator designed it? So the law of physiology is just a basic, in my world, the law of physiology should be the first fundamental rule that every medical student learns. We don't. Mm. We have the law of pharmacology. <laughs> yeah. yeah, violating the law of spirit, law of nature all of the time, out creating the creator, which is not a good plan. And it's not, it's an illusion, of course, or a delusion. But you don't spit yep. into the wind, you don't tug on Superman's cape, and you don't mess around with Dr. Batar. That was the old Jim Croce song. You remember that one? <laughs> I do. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, man, another great episode of Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rashid Batar. Check it out. Archives are going to be jumping up there pretty quick at GCNlive.com. A little later at iTunes, Stitcher. Tune in. UK Health Radio in a couple of days will be airing this as well as SoundCloud. And those of you watching on YouTube, please spread it around for those who enjoy as well. And we'll do this because it's time, Dr. Batar. Let them know. The power to heal is unequivocally yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show.